Dear listeners, welcome to Medicine Today on Digital Health, a podcast focusing on digitalization in medicine and healthcare and all the challenges surrounding development and adoption. I'm your host, a healthcare journalist, Tiasha Zeitz, and today we're going to Germany. Today's topic is funding and latest trends in digital health from an investor's perspective. In this episode, you will hear Dr. Klaus Stuckemann, the co-founder and managing director of Peppermint Venture Partners. Peppermint Venture Partners is an investment firm with a portfolio of companies for serious medical conditions and chronic disease management. But they're planning a new investment fund starting next year and it's going to focus on solutions in preventative medicine this time. I talked to Klaus at the Charité Entrepreneurship Summit in Berlin in the beginning of May, where a lot of the program was focused on research and funding options for digital health and biotech companies. Especially in biotech, the tricky part is that product development can take 10 or more years before the launch of an initial product. Therefore, investments in these ideas are riskier and demand bigger commitments of investors. Klaus and I also talked about what investors are paying attention to and how solutions are developed and implemented in Germany. The country is extremely advanced in terms of supporting digital health innovation in the private sector, but when it comes to digitalization on a national level, e-health is far behind other European countries. So far that even fax machines are still in use. There are a lot of accelerators for digital health uh, innovators in Germany, but after the seed money, the real challenge of bigger investments comes in. So if you are wondering how you can make it in Germany, this episode is definitely for you. Enjoy the talk and I apologize for the sound. This was recorded at Charité and despite looking for an empty room, we could not get to a place without an echo. But the content is still there, so enjoy! So when uh, startups approach you, what kind of solutions are, are you most interested in? You did a PhD in biology and pharmacology, so you're not an economist, but you have a scientific background. Well, we're looking um, at, at opportunities which are really have the potential to be a game changer. A game changer meaning that these are companies who really have come up with a innovative solution uh, which is not uh, easily be copied or where you do not find 10 others of it. But how important is the competition looking uh, globally since uh, healthcare systems are so specific that you have to be adaptable for each market? I guess the business model needs to be adapted for each market but the technical solution most likely will be the same. It's more about that the technical solution you are going to invest in needs to be competitive compared if you're in Germany and you find a great German company, but the main competitors in Israel or the US are much better. At some point, they will come to Germany and, and, and then they will make the business. So we, we very much, I would say, um, 
panicking if we find too many players in one space and if we benchmark the companies against um, the competition, um, we most likely will not invest in them because um, finding a company who is really um, competitive is, is hard, especially in digital health because you do have so much redundancies which really uh, pisses us off because we go to conferences and see all the time the same things we have seen before. So I think to, to find really something special is very hard. How many startups approach you per year? So we have looked last year at something like 550 startups. Looking meaning <laughs> we got uh, 550 um, business plans or presentations and we met... Uh, maybe a hundred uh, and um, uh, looked seriously at maybe two or three. How much effort do you put in searching solutions inside medical institutions or research institutes because that's where um, usually researchers work on validated solutions because they get either grants or research money and you can really be sure that those solutions have uh, solid uh, evidence behind them. But sometimes researchers are not entrepreneurs so they're, they're not really sure how to get their uh, ideas and their research into practice. Yeah, so we we uh, we have a cooperation with the Charité as as a, as a medical institution, and we try to sound all the deals we seriously looking at with experts there. So, uh, but that was of course has some limitations because because you might not find necessarily the expert you are looking for. But in general, we bringing solutions to doctors and and. and discussing that with them, how they feel about it, and of course what you mentioned on, on evidence-based uh, medicine, this is a hot topic especially in digital health because most solutions we have seen have not gone through that evidence-based kind of assessment. They, they have nice designs if you think about an app or so, but they have not been really evaluated with the patient for a long time so that you can make really the claim saying this solution is really helping the patients. I think that's something which is very important. Um, I usually like to talk about healthcare systems as well because of their diversity it always um, is useful or makes sense to learn about them from insiders. You are definitely an insider for Germany. How friendly would you say Germany is to digital health adoption? As you probably know, uh, I think a year ago or one and a half years ago, the government finally made it to, to uh, put in an e-health law or uh, so, and, 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 and that has at least kicked off the whole debate on what a state should be regulating. Um, but I think it's more a point of, of, of mentality, to be honest, how, how many doctors are willing to use all the possibilities. So my, my most loved example from the recent days is this platform in China with 460,000 or 490,000 doctors being on one online platform and you basically as a patient can get access to them. Again, I can't give you the number in Germany how many doctors uh, are online and you can access them. So I think Germany has a long way to go to, to be competitive on the digital health 
front, especially if it comes down to uh, bring these solutions to the patients. On the uh, reimbursement side, however, the payers got very creative, I have to say, and, and, and a lot of our companies already have reimbursement. And that has to do that, I think, people have changed in these organizations. Younger people came in sitting in uh, relevant positions and they recognizing that you have to transform the healthcare system. If you like it or don't like it, it will be digitalized. And, and that's what they're doing. Uh, I think the main problem in Germany is that it's very fragmented as insurance market. You have, I don't know, more than 100 health insurance companies and uh, as a startup you probably have to reach out to the large five, six um, uh, payers and then, then you almost have most of the patients. And I think they are very cooperative, so uh, not only for German, uh, I guess, startups. So if you're a startup and you have a good solution, um, I think they are uh, very much willing to talk about the solution. What kind of solutions do get the reimbursement? Um, that depends whether I think... Um, It is a kind of marketing thing for the payer to, let's say, have something like a like an app for for putting in um, uh, steps or uh, what, what these kind of uh, more on the on the on the um, engagement side. Um, but that's not really really reimbursement. Re 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 so they, they, the pay these insurance companies then buy these kind of products and give it away for free for her. For, for their um, um, insured people and they differentiate themselves by doing that from another. So if you want to choose a health insurance company and you see that they offer these things for free, you might say I go to that one and not to the other one. But if it comes down to chronic diseases or serious stuff, I think in Germany at least you have to go a long way to, pre to prove evidence because otherwise It's a public health care system, as you know, in Germany, they are not allowed to just reimburse something they like. They have to prove to a um, higher authority, if you like, um, that what they basically are um, reimbursing has been proven to be effective. And that means a startup who wants to develop whatever depression app at the end of the day, treating depression symptoms, they have to prove in one or the other way that what they do is really giving results And then the health insurance companies basically can think about how to improve uh, to reimburse it. So you travel a lot around other countries' uh, conferences and you know other healthcare systems uh, as well. Do you feel it's easier to get that proof for reimbursement elsewhere? Because you said that it's hard to prove that in Germany. Well, you have to do a, a clinical trial or a, a pilot project with a payer, and if you do a large pilot project with a payer and the outcome is, is positive, then most likely this payer is then willing to reimburse you or the company. And, and I think the, the point here is, is, is that one approval or reimbursement basically copycat by another health insurance company? And, uh, That not necessarily must be the case. So if you put it on a more scientific level, if you do a classical clinical trial on something, if you think at pharmaceutical development and you prove that what you're doing is working, then most likely all of the health insurance companies might be willing to, to reimbursement. But there is one very important point. They all, always have to show that they can 
not only increase quality of life, but also uh, have some cost advantages. And, and as you know, improving that your product solution is really reducing cost is very difficult. Sometimes you would say, oh, at first it's increasing cost, but in the long term, uh, if you think about diabetes, for example, in the long term, of course you will reduce cost, but uh, a lot of the health insurance companies are not incentivized to deal with long-term savings, rather having, rather wanting to have short-term savings. And that's the main problem, because you have to do a large trial to prove that, and that then is very expensive and takes quite a long time. It's also risky for insurance companies to do that, because they can't really know if a startup is going to still be alive after two or four years, and if you have patients that are using the, that solution, and then there's no one that can do any support on the product anymore because the company died, then you have a problem. Yeah, that's true, but we have one company uh, in Para um, who, who made it. They, they were able to do a hybrid uh, contract with, with a pair and uh, they had to do a trial with them with 250 patients for more than one and a half year and it took then still another year to evaluate all the data and after the evaluation, indeed, cost savings were, were proven and then it took another half a year to negotiate a contract, and, 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 uh, but they were lucky because they have, I think, the first contract where a payer is willing to reimburse different elements in the digital health offering. It's hardware, you have to measure blood glucose, injection, insulin pen, but they also pay data service transferring, coaching, and even the paper performance kind of uh, thing when you prove that the patient is on the system longer than half a year and in case of diabetes the AC1C level goes down and then they're willing to pay a premium price, I wouldn't say premium price but a, a higher price so if, if, if I tell that to uh, insulin providers or they, they start to cry because you can make more money with such a system than they can make with insulin but you have to prove that what you are offering is basically um, reducing cost. So how long does it take from the first meeting with the insurance company to the contract where you get reimbursement for your product and potentially more customers? So I think that is a good question. The, the, if you have done an evaluation of your offering, and which is basically in a controlled trial or whatever, and you present that to them and they can check that, then it can go quickly. The reality is, but more you start having interaction with them, they look at the data, then they say, come, let's do a pilot. Then they do a pilot with you in a small group. If that works fine, they like it. And then I think, I would say 18 months at least to get it from, um, if you have to develop a data set. If you don't have perfect data, if you have perfect data from another country, for example, I think there's a good chance that it goes much quicker. Um, but not a lot, lot of companies have that in digital health, as you know, right? They have some data, but that's anecdotally data. It's not really controlled data. And I think um, the payers here are very, very open. And I don't know um, whether other countries are so open currently to, 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 to um, adopt or to at least give it a try. Um, but the hurdle is, I think, to have the right data set of data and then it takes still time to negotiate that because these are individual contracts um, and depending on with whom you're talking 
They have to be cleared by a regulatory body above the health insurance companies so that, that uh, the health insurance company then finally can sign this contract. It takes a while. I would say 18 months. When startups asking me how long it will take, I ask them, what do you have? So I say always 18 to 24 months. That's a long time. And to your question, uh, the payers look whether the company has enough money to go. Uh, indeed, they ask that question and they also look very carefully that data protection is a main issue, that you have different ISO certification. And it's quite a hurdle for startups, but that's nothing you cannot do. You just need time, the right people and money to do so. Is it possible to estimate the percentage of startups that are solving clinical issues like serious disease um, problems compared to those that are just trying to offer an app or some communication platform because the market is very, very um, dense with all sorts of solutions similar ones as well? I think the, 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 in, in the beginning the, the health insurance companies didn't know themselves, right? I mean, they, they, they were very much looking into uh, innovative solutions really solving the problem rather than, let's say, to have the next diabetes app. So on the diabetes app is a good example. I think meanwhile you have something like 1,600 diabetes apps on the planet. You have great ones, a lot of people using, for example, like my sugar. Um, and the uh, question is, how should a payer with, let's say, six, seven insured people, right, million people, decide which app they should propose to their um, insured people? Some of them might think, why don't we develop an own app? Right? And that's something I think uh, startups should not underestimate that the large. Um, as children might come, if it's just an app solution in a way, uh, not so much sophisticated if you like, that they offer something else. Or they do it in a kind of white label thing, they buy it and put in the stamp of the payer, was developed by a startup. But the startup is not basically in the front, it just has developed the solution. And I think that is something a startup needs to really assess early on, how differentiated they are. Uh, and how sustainable they can develop their business model. And now we're talking only about Germany. I think about you go then to NHS, and uh, you, if you arrive there, I think uh, already 500 apps have been there. So you really have to differentiate and have to prove then that your solution is actually better. But 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 as as an example, with my sugar, they have so so many users currently that that is an argument maybe to to. Yeah, to give confidence to a payer to, to adopt that. But again, I'm a bit skeptical that for some solutions, uh, the large payers might really start developing their own stuff or ask other people to develop that for, for them, right? So, and then. Do you know how MySugar succeeded? Was it because they were among the first ones to do something? No, they have, beauty, they have a beautiful design. They, they have a, a, it's, it's, it's more for type 1 diabetic people. Uh, patient adherence and engagement is, uh, is are the keywords. So I think they were just on, in a way, the first wave, and they have a beautiful design and I think uh, a high grade of customer satisfaction. And, and why would a payer not say, um, "That's a great solution"? Why would I copy it or would I build my own one? I think that if you are at that point, you have the power to to get into the system. But think about you would start again today. I mean, if you start another diabetes app today, it's bullshit. 
At the moment, there's 260,000 health apps on the market, and it's getting increasingly hard to differentiate good solutions from bad ones without a recommendation. That's why ideas such as uh, regulatory um, solutions are needed. For example, the Scottish NHS is already proposing some apps that they validate or um, Mount Sinai from New York, they have a special incubator and a system in place to also do clinical trials with the apps, so the apps that they propose, their doctors can even prescribe. So they really established the whole uh, system around making sure that uh, all the offered solutions are validated and not harmful. You would have expected that to come much earlier if you think about it. Hindsight always tells you what, that you obviously were, were, were on a different track, but what you mentioned with Mount Sinai, I expect that to happen in Germany quite soon. I don't know who will do it, um, but I have a guess so that there will be something like them basically being a validation board for apps, uh, let's say for the clinic, for clinical applications, and it's not, I wouldn't call it a certification, I would basically say it is validated, so If this, is, if this has been validated, it makes it much easier maybe than for other hospitals to say, I use them, right? Rather than they find a solution, let's say, in, the, in south of Germany, they start working with it and there's another one and nobody knows how, how good they are. I think this is something which we're not done for a long time, this kind of, uh, let's call it clinical validation and I think that's absolutely needed at least in, in, in serious indications where you where you quote that you can do something meaningful. I'm not talking about the classical B2C and, 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 and tracking whatever step counts, but if you take diabetes as an example or depression, that needs to be validated. Mm -hmm. I mean we as VCs maybe don't like that because that means it's more complicated. You have to maybe you have to do clinical trials, you have to to spend more money, but at the end of the day for the patient it's very important that he gets what is validated and the doctor is also maybe much easier convinced about something if it's validated because what we see if we go to doctors and, and also within para they go to doctors but you have to convince them that that solution is meaningful for them as well. So you have to convince so many people and if you have somebody who is validating it or stamping it. Uh, maybe it's easier and will help the startups to adopt their product. Yeah, I think that's easier mostly for doctors and the healthcare systems, but it's just another barrier for startups in terms of another bureaucracy, bureaucratic um, thing they need to do before yeah. their solution can... But if you have a better solution, then tell me. I, said, I mean, that's, that's a problem with, as, a, as a consumer. You just download apps and I think that statistics shows you're happy to download it and use it for a while then you switch depending on whether you have already put in data as soon as it costs something you switch again so I think it's about product quality design for sure and maybe trusting that what you're using is meaningful right so and I think why would that be different you would also not take a drug if it would not have gone through a clinical development why would you Let's use a depression app which is really doing a digital therapy. And I mean, mm. especially in digital therapy, I think in the beginning, us included, we were quite naive. We thought, oh, that's a great idea. We just treat people with something. And yes, of course, it's working. But at the end of the day, that you really prove that something has worked, you have to do some kind of controlled 
evaluations, I wouldn't call it trials, but to, to really to be sure that what you're doing is also good for the patients. Do you use any digital health solutions? Myself? Yes. Yes, I'm using it. I, I using, uh, I'm using, I'm even paying for it. Um, it's an app uh, called Preventicus. Um, it's a pulse wave um, um, app for, for cardio assessment and uh, was developed here in Germany. We are not invested in, but I think it's an interesting company because they have great algorithm and they can detect atrial fibrillation by the pulse wave, right? And has <laughs> this app been clinically validated? That app has been clinically validated, it's CE marked, so it's really a medical device product um, uh, and it's, it, it is really doing the job. It's a bit cumbersome because you have to put your, 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 your finger on the, on the, on the, on the flashlight of the phone, but um, the data they have, um, to my knowledge, are very much um, validated and um, if you have a cardio problem, you would be able to detect it. I think they're working on nice solutions with a watch and so on, but I think these kind of solutions which have been validated, which address in cardiology especially, will have a bright future. However, they are not alone. Mm. So that's always a point, we are not alone. And I think it's naive to believe that, 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 uh, that it's easy, but I think that's a really what I mentioned in the beginning. We, we, that's, that's a, if you find a case interesting, we then start to benchmark it globally and look for other solutions and the other solution in Silicon Valley is better than we would not invest in the one in Germany. Mm. Today, especially with so much interest in the innovation, it's very probable that the idea that you have, somebody else also has or has already even developed something out of it. So in the end, it's not just about having an idea how to solve a problem, but having the capacity to uh, get that to the market, to just yeah, make it usable. So even though there is competition, in the end, that doesn't mean you do, will not succeed and the other way around. That's true. If you have a good solution and, and you, you might have even have uh, some patent protection, which is not normally the case in digital solutions, uh, but if you have these kind of combinations and you have the right management and you have enough money, of course you can built uh, a unicorn here in Germany as well. The problem is access to money and there of course if you do that in Silicon Valley or Boston or Israel you might be able to raise 10 times more money and then you get a competitive, competitive edge suddenly and the company in Germany with a slightly better solution might not have a chance. So as an, as an investor you have to be very careful then where you invest or you find enough money to really um, speed up things, right? Mm -hmm. And a good example is um, with Impera, for example, we, we lost a bit of time because we maybe have not raised too much money, uh, but now uh, you have followers uh, in the US having also a smart insulin pen. But nobody has this kind of reimbursement in Germany, but it's only Germany, so we have also with Impera to speed up and put money in and, and bring them to the US and so on. And, and that's true for many companies and I think the founders know that. It's easy said because you have to raise decent amount of money. I'm not talking about a million, I'm talking about 10, 20, 30 million to really make it serious. Uh, and we're back to Germany. Looking from the outside, Germany looks really exciting from the startup's point of view because there's so many accelerators and incubators and programs to support. Yes, it's, it's German Wonderland. 
So what goes wrong after those programs are done? After no, no, I mean, I, I would say it's German wonderland. I mean, uh, Germany has such a great public funding environment for, for seed money. So if you are not an idiot, you can become an entrepreneur. Yeah, so uh, I actually I tell everybody to become an entrepreneur. I mean, I don't know whether these people are idiots, but <laughs> to be honest, I think it's very easy if you have a meaningful idea. You get the first money secured easily. To your question, what comes after, I think that's really uh, a problem. Um, but there's not an easy solution because if it's a great company, um, then foreign investors will spot it and will come and invest it in. Especially in Berlin, people love to come to Berlin and it's a digital solution. Then you find ICT investors coming and investing in these companies. I find Germany really interesting from the perspective that on the one hand it's a digital health paradise with so many um, options on how to create and develop your solution and then on the other hand you have the national healthcare system which is um, like lagging strongly behind other countries when it comes to digitization and e-health. You mentioned before that the e-health law has only been implemented uh, not uh, long ago. So there's still a lot of paper and no interoperability in the system compared to, for example, I don't know, Sweden, Finland, Israel, Estonia, which all, are all countries with 98 or more percent of electronic health records. Don't, don't tell me. I mean, online consultation just recently Got, got, got basically in a reimbursement thing, and you wonder why the hell that is. As, as I told you, I mean, there's no. I mean, from I'm not a doctor, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a PhD, but um, why, why the hell? I would love. I want, I want to call a doctor if I have a question at 10 o'clock in the evening. And actually, I don't care whether they're sitting in India. Same language would be nice. And why would I not get a first uh, interaction with them, right? And, and I think. That is something which is lacking behind the uh, other countries. Uh, if you ask me what is the reason, actually <laughs> I can't tell you the reason, but everybody is, is bored and, 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 and nervous about losing competitive edge here because it takes too long uh, to, to, to implement certain solutions. Right? And, and If you want to be extreme, you might say it has to do something with biology and at some point the people is responsible for it now, get older and will be gone and then you have younger people then changing the system. It's very, really a, a tough cookie here in Germany, but everybody wants to change that, although the government is very, very much in favor, but it's easy said from the top, then you have to have the people who change the system and it's much easier to go to a... To a, a green field where it's nothing like in second world countries, right? For example, if you would go to Mongolia, I bet you could implement a great digital health ecosystem because there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the need uh, is bigger, the regulation, there's there is less regulation, so it's easier to leapfrog. I don't know, I, I, think, I don't think it's the regulation thing, it's just that you do not find something where everybody has something in it and don't want to give up on it, right? That also has to do, right? So if you have nothing, then you are happy to have a solution, right? Here you do, I mean, it's 
also wonderland, medical wonderland in Germany at the end of the day. And you know, each patient is treated the same actually. If you get a heart surgery done or a heart attack now, you get the treated exactly the same as if you would be a private pay person, right? So it's really not about that, it's more that the mindset has to change and also the nervousness about data protection and so on and so on. I think, but again, I think everybody knows it and everybody's working it, so I'm, I'm optimistic. Which country, let's say in Europe, do you find most inspiring in terms of digital health development? Um, I recently uh, uh, had the privilege to, to visit uh, Finland, Helsinki, and, and I spent two days there and I met a lot of Finnish startups. So the easiness to approach the topic and the, the quick debate on serious problems, we or what we think are problems, are uh, very impressed to me. What do you define as serious problems? Data protection, how you transfer data, where is your where is your data stored, and so on and so on, and also interaction between doctor and patients, right? Um, so it's it's much more. There's a feeling it's much more easygoing, right? In Finland. Yeah, in Finland. Yeah, yeah, in Finland. However, when then you talk about how that is reimbursed, I think Germany is. I would even say much far advanced how you reimburse it. It is a, a kind of disconnect on the one hand. People are much open to use it. Let's say in Finland, doctors, for example, or you know about Estonia and these countries, right, where they are digitalized 80, 90, whatever, 5% or so. Um, and you find doctors in Germany, especially here in the surrounding areas, they have no internet. You would not believe that. They use fax machines. In Germany, you, you, you fax your prescription. Why would you do where? that? Where? Here. You fax it where? To yeah, you fax it to the pharmacy or so on. You could do it online. Fax so it. You still use fax machines? Absolutely. Heavily. In healthcare? Yes. Okay. And if you see that, and, and, and you want to, to change that and make it basically accepted that a digital prescription is the standard method, right? Why would I go to my doctor, to be honest, to get my whatever I have? I want to have it on my iPhone, I want to go to the pharmacy and I would show my iPhone, uh, let's be a QR code or whatever, and then I get my medication. Or I even don't want to go to the pharmacy, I just order it online and it will be authorized by checking in that I'm, I'm the person, I have the prescription, why the hell would I go there? And, uh, I must say, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated, I'm stuck with that fax machine, so you're not just a digital wonderland, but also a hipsterland. Yeah, absolutely. We are retro. We, we like that, you know, retro thing. We also like, you know, uh, the vinyl kind of music kind of thing very much. And, um, uh, you know, we also built the Transrapid, as you know, the fast train, right? And uh -huh. Didn't make anything out of it. So fax machines hopefully will also be gone soon. <laughs> But, you know, you can't do a digital fax, you know that? So... You, you put it in the computer and then it can, the fax comes out at the doctor's place. That's possible. So it's a kind of hybrid. But to be honest, that shows you how difficult it is to change a given system. And there's a good reason because, of course, a fax underwritten is a kind of in-between digital and analog. But, but I think um, 
we should not complain too much. Uh, it, it takes time, but people are very much open to change the system. But it's much more difficult if you have such a big system implemented with all these different interrelationships between the parties and, and, and egoism also around it. That's, that's not easy. It's, it's a bit pity for the patient because especially online consultation has no reason why, why you would not allow that or would have not allowed that earlier. Mm. So, looking into the future, do you ever think about how healthcare is going to look like in 15 years? I just recently was thinking about the children's hospital in Ljubljana, in Slovenia, 15 years ago, when before it moved to a new building, there was, you know, no smartphones, uh, there was just one computer on the whole world, and today, thanks to the development and thanks to the management and the IT firm that uh, redesigned the whole IT system, it's a completely paperless hospital, everything is uh, digital, it's just uh, a, a radical shift in uh, treatment and patient-parent experience. Where do you see things going, like in 10-15 years? I hope that it will be paperless, of course, and it will also be voice recognition. Also, writing down a prescription is a waste of time. You just have voice recognition. I come home, I get a body scan, I know my blood pressure, I know my status um, that is transferred on my iPhone and given me a green light and I'm fine and um, if I need a prescription, prescription comes automatically, delivery at home with Amazon maybe, uh, and if I need a doctor I just switch on my screen and have a chat at 10 o'clock in the evening. Um, and uh, if, he, if he thinks I should come in, then I make an appointment online or via um, um, voice, uh, via discussion, and then um, I get an appointment. So it could be uh, it could be uh, transferred in a very easygoing, efficient kind of interaction between patient and doctor. Um, that. Um, I'm looking very much into the future. Also, of course, people are scared about how that will change, especially people who are older or elderly people, but even in elderly care, e-rehab or, or monitoring people doing rehab with digital kind of solutions is a great opportunity as well. So, I don't want to go that far that I want to have a robot at home, like in Japan, in nursing homes, you have a small robot and you see people talking to that robot like a child, but maybe that's where we're going, so I, I have no idea. But I want to have voice recognition, I want to come at home and say, what is my status? And then I get a feedback of it with a nice voice, maybe Scarlett will tell me, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then she said, well, you should do sport and something like that, fully automated, uh, and so on and so on. Uh, so that, is, that could be my vision. And of course, by doing that, um, I guess we will get more and more healthy. Just before we finish up, the last question, you're uh, starting a new uh, portfolio batch soon, beginning of next year, if everything goes according to plan. What are you going to be looking for? So, we, yeah, indeed, we currently have started, or in the process of start raising the new fund. And what we want to do is, we have not done prevention investments. We basically... Uh, took the difficult ones, chronic diseases, right, um, or even if we, we do medical devices, very um, clinical, heavy-loaded medical device things, um, 
what we want to do is also look in, in solutions for preventing chronic disease. This can even be something in pre-diabetes. I'm not talking about drugs. I know there are also ideas on drugs or nutrition kind of projects, but really picking the patient or the healthy person early on in life and try to, to find solutions along his basically um, healthcare journey. But that's quite challenging because prevention is kind of hard to prove that it's been successful. That's true, but I think the only way to, to cope with diabetes, I think we are in agreement, is prevention. Yeah, uh, the only way how you can deal with chronic diseases, you can try early on to prevent them in one or the other way. I'm not talking about extreme things like gene therapy or whatsoever, but that also will be coming part of the whole equation. But I think in terms of digital solutions, I, I think that you can do a lot. And that includes, by the way, also education. I mean, the education part is completely underestimated that, um, that if you uh, have a, a explicit education on, on how, you, um, uh, how you eat, how you, and that's not, nothing new, but having digital maybe uh, measures and uh, solutions to, to do that. But diabetes is only one thing. I think there's a whole lot of diseases still which could be, if you pick them up early, not end up in that very worse, worse, worse people where then exactly you have all these issues with payers, expensive person, you have to prove that you limit um, basically um, costs and so on. So that would be one new element. We didn't do that in the recent fund, but that's something we want to do in the new fund. And beside that, we will stay at the crossroads of medical devices and digital health. Thank you. You're welcome. You've been listening to the 10th episode of Medicine Today on Digital Health, a podcast produced by Medicina Danes, a Slovenian medical journal for doctors and pharmacists. You are, of course, invited to check our other episodes as well. The one that got most attention so far is why is IT so hard to implement in healthcare? And to share a bit more statistics with you. The second most popular topic was on biosensors and wearables. And of course, how you can make it in the biggest healthcare market, the United States. I've discussed this with Unity Stokes in the episode titled How did a digital health vision end up in the Oval Office? Stay tuned, rate our podcast, subscribe to it in iTunes or SoundCloud.